Welcome back to the Wrong Opinion, Useless NBA Trivia and Garbage Rankings. We are in Season 2, The Best Who Never. Uh, this is your first time, make sure to go back and check out the first couple. Uh, these are the best players who never did X. This week we're talking about the best players who never made the conference finals. As always, we are excluding players from the previous list. So you're only hearing about players who won a playoff series, but never won round two, basically. Never won two playoff series in a year. Never made the conference finals. Um, of course, we are only going since 1971, because that's when the conference finals existed. Uh, so for the previous round, we did since 1984, the previous playoffs, just because there were so many. Uh, it would have been not a very interesting list. This week, it's still pretty interesting, even going back a little bit farther. It just made no sense to <laughs> rank players like Bill Russell never played in the conference finals. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got top 15. Number 15, Purvis Short. He's got a teammate a couple couple spots ahead because this was just a bad, bad franchise. He was with the Golden State Warriors in their heyday of crap. Maybe not their heyday of crap, but a long extended run of, of not awesome. They only made the playoffs once. He was drafted in 78. Number five, meaning he was be, he was above Larry Bird. The Warriors could have had Larry Bird. A uh, bit of a bummer there. Uh, he played with the Warriors until 87 when he was traded to Houston, um, along with a lot of these Golden State guys. Went to Houston, and that team probably would have taken that back. These Warriors only made the playoffs once. Uh, he played 10 games in the playoffs in his Warriors career. 14.6 points in a season where he averaged 18 on the regular season. Uh, his best year, though, in 1985, 28 points. Not freaking bad. Uh, a really nice, um, very old-school small forward. Think Rudy Gay, which just doesn't mean great things if your team wants to win. Uh, this was an era where where drugs and apathy kind of just ruined a lot of careers. Um, for Purvis, it was probably more apathy than anything. His nickname was Rainbow Man because he had this high, high jumper. It's very recognizable if you're watching any any old school games. Uh, Purvis Short, you know, nice player. One of the top 15 small forwards of the 80s. I think he's top 10 in uh, Warrior scoring all time. Uh, number 14. One of my least favorite careers of all time. I don't want to say least favorite players because, I don't know. Maybe he's a nice guy. Antoine Jameson. For those of you who pronounce the name wrong, it is not Anton. Kind of like Dwayne Wade. He just spells it weird. Now, he came into his career as a small forward, as a really good scoring forward. And then he gained a lot of weight. Um, which, you know, when you draft a guy at 19, you kind of expect them to uh, gain a lot of weight in the first couple of years. And maybe move a position up. But he was drafted at 22 years old. Made his debut at 23. Uh, he still developed in a poor way. Uh, his first five years with Golden State. You might hear a lot of Golden State on this podcast. Because the Warriors sucked for a long, long time. Um, in 2004, he went to Dallas to be a backup to both Antoine Walker. Who was like a worse version of Jameson, by the way. And of course, Dirk Nowitzki. He won sixth man of the, of the year. I think it was like by default. First of all, that was a terrible year. 2004 is one of the worst years in NBA history. But the team was worse with him on it. He was just like a starter who was overqualified and backing up, so they gave it to him by default. I, did, I that was That's just a weird, weird award. But he got his first all-star the next year with Washington. Uh, became a solid 20-9, and 20-10 player. End of his career, don't really care about that. But overall, he was just a bucket getter, low percentages, 45% as a uh, as a low post power forward for most of his career. 
Shot too many threes, hit 35%, not terrible. Um, but those numbers dip the more he takes. A net zero on defense, a fine rebounder, not a passer, a ball stopper. The point is, though, if he's the best player in your team, you're just not going very far. And that was painfully obvious by the fact that his teams never went very far. <laughs> uh, the best chance for him to have done anything, either 2004 or 2010. Uh, 2004 with Dallas, but again, that's when that team just fizzled out real, real quick. And that's when they ended up getting rid of Nash, which was a huge overreaction for them. Um, with those Washington teams, we made the playoffs four times. Of course, never really did much there, but, you know, whatever. They were fun. Uh, Cleveland, 2010. And that should have been his chance. <laughs> uh, but LeBron choked in the playoffs for the first of two straight years. I uh, don't really blame Antoine on that one. Uh, but in 2007, he put up 32 points a game in a four-game sweep. He's just a guy that's incapable, incapable of playing as the second or third best player on your team, but he is the second or third best talent on a good team. So, just not my favorite type of guy. Uh, number 13, Baron Davis, a man I love. Steve Nash called him the hardest man in the league to guard. Steve Nash wasn't guarding a lot of people. Uh, just a freaking bulldozer, the kind of point guard that you don't see too much anymore. That was, it was definitely a, a, a early 2000s thing. Fantastic, a strong defender. Got to the rim and pushed hard, you know, shoulder to the gut. Took way too many threes. Five attempts a game for his career, 32%. That was an era where we talk about the bad threes now. There are a lot of bad threes now. People took a lot of bad threes then too. They just made way, way less. Um, overall, a poor a poor percentage shooter, but a tremendous defender, mostly as a, as a athletic ball hawk. Led the league in steals twice, but still a good man defender. He was on the team when Charlotte moved to New Orleans, so technically two franchises there. Uh, played with the Warriors. Of course, his he was best known for probably being the best player on the 2007 Warriors, the We Believe team. Uh, 20 points, 8 assists, 2 steals a game. Not great percentages across the board, but he won a series against the number one team in the league, in the MVP, in Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, the small ball thing did not work against the big bully Jazz, though, so that was his best chance by far to get into the third round of the NBA playoffs. Uh, like all point guards, he ended in New York, where point guards go to die. Number 12, Purvis Short's teammate, Joe Barry Carroll. This is a perfect example of the Boston Celtics just being smarter than everybody else, them and the Lakers. That's why they dominated, because they just got better players, because they were smarter. They traded the number one overall pick, which they got from another swindling a few years before. Traded Joe Barry Carroll, essentially, for Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale was significantly better. His name was Joe Barely Cares. It's a bad nickname. Uh, first four years... With the Warriors, 85, played in Italy. Why did he play in Italy? Because uh, he wanted more money, but he wasn't playing hard. <laughs> That's when he had the nickname in those first four years. He was just perennially mocked for being a lazy, lazy player. Uh, didn't play hard in defense. Peaked at eight rebounds a game, which, you know, when you're seven feet tall and thick, you can't do. After he came back uh, from overseas, he made the All-Star game once in 87. That's when they had that, that solid team. But by that time, I mean, his points had dropped. He was just not the player he used to be. And immediately after that, it, his career just tanked. I put him over Purvis Short. You can argue either way. Uh, I think he had, he was a better player than Short. Uh, Short cared more, and Joe Bayer Carroll just had some drug issues. And that kind of set him down on top of the whole barely caring thing. 
He ranks pretty high in a lot of Warrior stats um, and up there in a lot of 80s stats. Um, but if he's on your team, you're just not going to do well, and they were smart to get rid of him, making way for the run TMC Warriors. Number 11, John Wall. He's an interesting case for, like, number one overall pick busts. Because, like, would you do it again? Maybe? Uh, the injuries kind of hurt him. He was a fantastic passer, of course, and the, the highlight of him was the, the athleticism. He was just so, so fast. Um, and can get a bucket because he was so fast and strong and because he was such a smart player, such a smart passer. But just egregious shooter. And in the, in the playoffs, teams could hone in on that. He brought a team that sucked to the playoffs in his fourth year and made the playoffs over those next four years, uh, but just never got past the second round. One cool highlight was the 2015 uh, Paul Pierce bank. Uh, but outside of that, like 2014, they beat a Chicago team that it was they were overachieving because Joachim Noah went off in the regular season, but they were just limited and then lost immediately to the Pacers, who were probably the second best team of the early 2010s. 2015 swept Toronto in the first round. Uh, second round, missed half the series. 2017 lost in seven to the Boston Celtics. They wore the, uh, the black, the funeral um, attire. For Game 7, those are both kind of historically irrelevant teams, but really fun in the moment. And then after that, of course, his career tank just suffered with injuries the rest of his career. So it's ended up being a really sad story because he was done by, you know, 27. I think if you do his, his career over several times, maybe he continues the injuries, but I think he's off this list in a lot of them. Um, I think that you could have done worse than him at number one. Uh, number 10, Elton Brand. Now, he was the number one pick only a couple years after the the last dance, the Bulls, which is just hilarious that they blow up their team and they get the number one pick a couple years later. What's even more hilarious is that they traded him away uh, to pair uh, Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler to the high school Twin Towers. It went poorly. Uh, but then with the, the Clippers, he ended up being a superstar, made the playoffs or made the all-star team twice. It really took him until 06 at 26 years old. To have like a dominant, dominant season. 25 and 10. That was the best Clippers team probably of the pre-Chris Paul era. And yet they only made it two rounds. So kind of a bummer. Uh, 2012 with Philly. This was it when he was kind of, I mean, he was playing on wits alone and the fact that he was tall and smart. This was the year Philly beat the Bulls. The uh, 8-1 upset. But, you know, Derrick Rose got hurt. So barely counts. Uh, but 2006 was definitely that the best chance for him to get something. Um, I think Elton Brand's often forgotten. But he was an all-NBA player. He was a dominant, dominant low post guy. Fun fact to know, in both second rounds in which he lost, 2006, lost in seven to Phoenix. 2012, lost in seven to Boston. Both better teams, still kind of a bummer. Number nine, Gilbert Arenas. Gilbert had an incredible couple-year peak from 2005 to 2007, all-star, all-NBA, all three years. 25 points, 29 points, 28 points. Now, he was not a good defender, got a lot of steals because he tried and was psycho. He didn't score 20 points again for the rest of his career. Well, 2010 he did, but 32 games. Uh, he had a lot of injury stuff. The whole gun thing wasn't great for him. Historically beloved as a, as a vibe guy, especially for those fun Washington teams playing alongside Antoine Jameson. Uh, he was just your classic chuck-up threes, hit a lot of free throws guy. <laughs> 2006, 10 free throw attempts a game, 7 three attempts a game. 2007, eight three-point attempts per game, 10 free-throw attempts per game. That's hideous, uh, and it, it works in the regular season a little bit, not in the playoffs. Um, I don't know what his best chance to make the conference finals was. 2005, he made it to the second round, 
So I guess you say that. Uh, but he got swept by the by the Heat, which is a really good team with uh, Dwayne Wade coming to his own and Shaq as the number two MVP guy. And then lost to Cleveland in the playoffs the next couple of years. So, you know, RIP. Uh, absolutely a guy who would thrive today, at least statistically, and probably would not do much in the playoffs even today. But very ahead of his time guy. Uh, number eight, Reggie Theus. Really interesting guy because he, you consider him point guard, considering the shooting guard back then. It was way more, the, the differences were way more delineated um, between Chicago and then the Royals slash Kings uh, for the second half of his career. Just like constantly 18 and 8. I uh, became way more of a distributor with, with the Kings later. These were just a lot of bad teams. 81 was the only time he won a playoff series. It was a two-round series. 81 was weird. That's why we didn't rank it last week. Beat the Knicks, who sucked at this time, 2-0. to zero. Uh, and then after that, won a grand total of two playoff games across four series. Swept by Boston in 81, great team. Swept by the Lakers in 84, great team. Swept by <laughs> all three of those teams made the made the finals. That's hilarious. Three straight teams, three straight playoff appearances getting swept by a team that went to the finals. Uh, and then 89, lost Milwaukee, which was a really, really good team. Uh, not a Hall of Famer. He's one of those guys where I think if he was on a really good team, he could have been a Hall of Famer. Um, but the stats kind of lie with him because the stats look great, but I don't know. When did it ever turn into winning, you know? Uh, 83 is his best season, 24 and 6. Uh, number 7, Dave Bing. A lot of people forget about Dave Bing. He was the scoring champion in 68, not points per game. That's back when they counted only points. Super weird. A long career with the Pistons and then ended it with the Bullets. He left the Bullets right before they went to two straight finals. Last year, the Bullets was in 77, putting up 10 and 4. Maybe that's related because for most of his career, he just was not a winning guy. Five playoff appearances. His best chance to make the count, his best chance would have been staying one more year. But in 77, he won one series outside of that. Lost to Chicago in seven in 1974. Lost to Cleveland in seven. 1976. These were bad, bad teams. Bob Lanier was on these Pistons teams too. Actually, that last one was Bullets, but he and Bob Lanier were running mates. Bob Lanier was this fantastic big man who just had the worst luck with teammates, including Dave Bing. He'll get his stats. He's a very modern player in that sense. Get his stats. It doesn't really affect anything that anybody else is doing on the court. Um, historically, you know, fun, good player. Uh, Bob Lanier barely misses this because of a uh, attack on team late in his career. So good for him. Uh, number six, our first modern guy, first real modern guy, at least John Morant. Um, he might be a little too young to make this list, but he's in year five now. I just don't think you can like criticize him for it. 2021 had an awesome showing in the, um, uh, in the, in the play in and then a nice series, 30 points a game and a five game loss in, uh, 2021 next year, 27 and 10 in the first round playing against Minnesota. Not a great team. Uh, and then lost against Golden State, whatever. And then last year lost against the Lakers, who they probably should have beat, you know. But Ja is just a terrifying player to watch. Uh, if you're rooting against him, it's terrifying because, you know, a freaking force. If you're rooting for him, you're like, okay, buddy, you're going to get hurt every single time you jump in the air. This is terrifying. But the way he slams the ball, I think he is the resident best dunker in the NBA. Is that fair? He won most improved, most improved player, which is insane because he because he – was almost an all-star the year before. So I don't really get that, but whatever. How do you win rookie of the year, go up to 19 points a game, and then become most improved player? That doesn't make any sense. I don't like that. He shouldn't be most improved in rookie of the year. That does not make sense together. 
Uh, right now, the team is falling apart, partly because he is falling apart, doing a lot of off-court stuff that's hurting his, his career and his team. So it's likely he's going to be on this, on this list for uh, a while going forward. Um, he also had season-ending surgery on his shoulder, so it's not going to be this year. Number five. This one is by far the biggest bummer. Yao Ming. He just played on the wrong teams his whole career where they try to go inside out. But a guy like T-Mac, you don't want him outside. You want him... You want T-Mac to be a self-inside-out guy. Like, his three-point ability makes it easier for him to get inside. You want Yao to be with a slow-down team with a lot of really good shooters, you know? I think he would have been awesome on those Pistons teams. Of course, anybody you could just plug in pretty much anybody who cares, and that'd be good. Um, Hall of Famer, of course. Best Chinese player ever. Oh, there's a huge, uh, huge argument for everybody else there. The touch he had, that's... That's it. That's what made him great. I mean, he was huge, of course, but a lot of guys are huge. His touch was fantastic. Great free throw percentage across his career. But by year four, he was just, you know, consistently injury prone. Uh, 2009, that was his best chance. Uh, 2008 was the win streak season when he did not play during most of the win streak. But then 2009, that next year when the team was fully together, T-Mac was basically gone at that point. But just a really well-constructed analytically team. Lost in seven to the Lakers, who ended up going and winning the finals. Uh, that was actually the only year he won a playoff series, beating Portland. Brandon Rory, who, of course, we talked about last week, never won a playoff series um, and also had his own injury issues. Um, so in that series, it's funny. If that series has gone the other way, we're probably flipping those two players. But Yao Ming, I mean, he's doing all right. He's a player that is beloved across two countries and probably way, way more. He's a Hall of Famer. Had an excellent, if very, very short career because he was playing 12 months a year. Uh, when you're that big and you're playing overseas and in the NBA, that's just, it. like, concurrently, it's not great. Uh, number four, David Thompson. He had a short career, too, but that's because he loved cocaine. Uh, that led to a lot of injury stuff later in his career. But his first three years are pretty unassailable. 26 points a game as a rookie. 26 as a second year. 27 his third year. Uh, never won the scoring title. 78, he and, uh, <laughs> he and Gervin had this. They both went off. Um, David Thompson put up 73, one of the highest all time. Uh, Luca just scored that the other day. But after 79, I mean, he's 24 years old. That's when you're supposed to peak, and that's when it started going downhill. He had a nice resurgence in uh, 81, putting up 25 a game. Uh, but then after that, it you know down to 15, 15. One of the lost greats, an absolute comet. Both if you're talking about his play style and his career trajectory. Um, his first year as a pro, uh, won a seven game series, lost round two. Uh, won a seven-game series in '78, lost round two to a team that to a team that lost in the NBA Finals. His career stats are painfully low, and it's really sad because <laughs> he should have been an all-timer. His top five finishes in scoring: third, fourth, second, sixth, fifth. 22 points a game for his career. Just what could have been. David Thompson. He wasn't on awesome teams, but he should have. They were the Nuggets got good in the early '80s. Uh, Alex English, obviously Dan Izzel. But he was just done by then because of his drug problems. So, huge bummer. Number three, Bernard King. A guy that overcame his drug problems to have a nice career, whose best years were after his, his drug issues, but then had massive injuries just to derail it. He bounced around early in his career and all-star with Golden State, but by 84 and 85, he was one of the best couple players in the league. You know? Uh, in 85, 33 points per game on great percentages. He had a great resurgence uh, in the early 90s with the Bullets, not necessarily in a winning perspective. The only times he won playoff series were in 83 and 84. Uh, lost in seven in the second round of, 80, of the 84 playoffs in, in just iconic fashion. 
Bernard put up in game four, put up 43. And then in game six, put up 44 in a two-point win to drag it to seven. He did everything he could. Um, one of the most fun players, one of my favorite players to watch in, in old school games because it's just so different than how the game is played today because it's so like, you know, eight to 12 feet from the basket, but not like, not flashy necessarily. I love Bernard King. Bummer he didn't get that. A guy I don't love as much, Joel Embiid. I did this podcast a couple hours earlier than anticipated because I wanted to watch the Sixers-Nuggets game uh, and he sat out inexplicably against the Nuggets because because he knows that nothing good can come of it. Um, it's just a bummer, honestly, that this so-called best rivalry in the NBA, it just, it's, it's not, you know? And we're probably never going to see in the finals because he always falls apart in the playoffs. Uh, this is now a... <laughs> This is a seven-year track record. Six years of playoffs, I guess, would be more fair to say. But 2018, he went from 23 in the regular season to 21 in the playoffs. The percentages dropped to 43%, lost in the second round. 2019, the stats were even more hideous in 2019. Uh, 27 in the regular season, 20 points per game in the playoffs. It took it, I mean, it took Kawhi hitting that bouncy, bouncy, bouncy game seven shot to win it. But he had just, I, Jimmy Butler had been the alpha dog of that team. And that's just, that's not okay on Joel Embiid's resume. Uh, 2020 lost in the first round. Wasn't even all NBA that year. 2021, he wanted to be MVP. He was second team all NBA. He lost to the Hawks in the second round. Trey Young and the Hawks. All right, come on. Uh, 2022, he led the league in scoring 31 points per game. Uh, playoffs dropped to 24 points per game. A loss in the second round to the Heat. 2023. 33 points per game. Wow, incredible. Never seen that in so long. It's been since Bob McAdoo that a center scored that much. Uh, in the playoffs, he dropped to 24 points per game, and they lost in the second round. This year, he's scoring 36 points per game. First career, he scores four fewer points per game in the, in the playoffs than he does the regular season. There's a reason that he hasn't made the conference finals, and that's because he just, the lights are too bright, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I just don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Of course, we were wrong about Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, things change. He is not the best player in the NBA until he at least makes the conference freaking finals. Number one, Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight film. I think that when it's all said and done, Embiid will have a better will have had a better career than Dominique Wilkins. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, I mean, there's the chance that Embiid retires next year, and Dominique had a long, long career to go off of. He played till he was 39. Now, the best chance we had. The best chance he had to make the conference... I mean, he made... He had the chance to make the conference finals only three times. Only three times he made even the second round. 86, lost in five to Boston. That was the year he led the league in scoring. And he and Burr just went off against each other in the playoffs. But when you have one guy who is a great scorer and a great passer and a great great effort defender, great rebounder, and one guy who just scores and does nothing else, like, yeah, it doesn't matter if you go back and forth. 87, lost in five to Detroit, who... We're just a year away from usurping the Celtics. And then an 88 loss in seven again to the Celtics. This is when he just absolutely went off and actually made it close. 31 points per game in the series, um, but just not good enough. I think he's a second tier superstar historically. So it's less embarrassing. I, th I think it's less embarrassing for him to not have made the conference finals than Joel Embiid. So maybe I should switch these rankings. Uh, but you just got to go off what we've seen so far. And Joel Embiid still has a chance to change that. And if he does, I mean, making the... Conference Finals for the first time in your 10th season. Not crazy embarrassing, you know? Dirk won the finals in his 13th season, and nobody thinks of him as a loser anymore. So if you do it late in your career, I, there's just a difference between that and 
Jason Kidd winning finals or <laughs> or Mitch Richmond winning a finals, you know? Uh, there's it's just it's just different. Dominique won just I think the all-time greatest in-game dunker where he could sway a crowd with just one incredible move. And for that, you will be remembered forever. That's it for this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the best players who never made the NBA Finals. Now, on this list, we have probably 15 Hall of Famers. 15 Hall of Famers who never made the NBA Finals. I'm really curious of what you guys think of my five versus six ranking. So, two power forwards who had injury problems, who were number one picks. I'm looking forward to see what you guys think to see which one you guys think should have ranked higher. Um, Until then, peace out.